If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio brings you Straight Down the Middle, Arizona's only internet golf show. Straight Down the Middle is produced by the Boomer and the Baby Incorporated in partnership with GolfMix.com. GolfMix is your place to read course reviews written by recreational golfers just like you. Learn about the course you're going to play. Check out GolfMix before your next round. Now it's time to hit it straight down the middle. Four! Straight down the middle. It went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook just a wee, wee bit. And that's when McCaddy lost sight of it. That little white pellet has never been found to this day. But it went straight down the middle, like they say. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. And it started to slice just a smidge off line It hit it with two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay It went straight down the middle Fine away Yes, and welcome down the middle Straight Down the Middle is the Internet Golf Show brought to you by and produced by Peterson Brown Incorporated, Boomer and the Babe Incorporated. And we're waiting for Mr. John Bloom to get to us from the Masters. This is our live from the Masters show. We're very, very, very pleased that John's going to be able to come in uh, from there with his other duties as uh, working in the truck for CBS Sports. Uh, making sure all the shots are online, and he's covering the co- press conferences and the media room. So uh, he's trying to get all that stuff lined up, and uh, and we're waiting for him uh, uh, with either bated breath or breath that smells like bait, I don't know which, uh, for John to come on board. Uh, in the meantime, I'm here with Mr. Kirk Getzinger. Kirk Getzinger is also with Golf Mix. Kirk, how are you this evening? I am great, Pete. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you on this Masters Thursday. Uh, what a what a thrilling part of, of the golf year it is. Uh, for for me, it's the it's the pinnacle of the golf year where we get to watch the annual contest and tournament in Augusta and uh, watch those the, the famous holes and the famous shots that have become just ingrained in all of our all of our memories. Well, it is, uh, and I think it's also a situation where uh, we have the big uh, the big event here with the PGA, of course, up at uh, TPC. Uh, we have all the hoopla and the rah rah here in the valley, and it's uh, it's very well known tournament for all the for all the rowdiness and uh, tomfoolery and low scores and shooting the lights out and everything else. Uh, but it's. Uh, 
that that's almost uh, almost a, almost spring training, if you will, uh, all heading up to the main events throughout the golf season, which starts, of course, with Augusta. Uh, I don't think there's anything in uh, in history, and I don't think there's anything on that is thought of on the Pro Tour as being as being any more important than Augusta. I was listening to John do his tape of this this precast with Aaron uh, Aaron Overholzer and and Aaron says as far as he's concerned it's not the Phoenix, it's not the uh, US Open that it's Augusta and that's where it all starts for him in his mind. So uh, and I think that's a pretty universal feeling probably a great part due to the history uh and great part due to the legend uh it's uh, it's certainly something that uh, if you had the opportunity to be there as a player, I imagine you'd be shaking in your shoes. Well, I can I can only imagine, Pete, uh, what it would be like to be standing there on the first tee, just trying to put the ball in the ground, let alone uh, being able to pull the club back. Uh, it uh, I've, I've had the good fortune to be there uh, three occasions as a patron myself for one of the practice days, and while you're there, your your mind can't help but think, my goodness, if I could just stand back one time and pull it back here on the 12th tee and see if I could really get it up there by the green. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those places, Pete, that, be, that my perception in terms of having been there, a lot of places we know in this world, uh, there's a lot of hype and they, they don't live up to it. Uh, for me, Augusta more than surpassed everything that I had ever heard of it and always left me with the feeling that no matter how spectacular it is to watch the tournament on television, to look at the property on television, it never came close to capturing everything that's there when you see it on the ground in terms of the beauty, the demanding nature of the golf course, the undulations and the challenge that's posed by the, the approach shots into really tight corners of greens um, and what the golfer faces hole by hole, especially on a course where, you know, many of them have played at 50, 100 or more times, and still there's, sub, there's subtleties and nuances that every year they're trying to come back and figure out. Uh, it, is, it is truly, truly an amazing place. And, and, and like you say, uh, we could only always hope, all of us could only hope that that item on our bucket list got crossed off someday. Well, that's very true. And a part of the aura, uh, as as I think it might be sufficiently called, is uh, the terminology. And you use the term in your in your latest series of statements that you're not a gallery, you're a patron. And and that just that kind of sets it all up. I mean, the uh, that everybody that's there walking the grounds at that time of year and at that tournament are patrons. Excuse me, you're not galleryites. And there, nope. it, 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 it it sets up something special, doesn't it? It it really does, Pete. And when you're when you're there on the grounds, you know you are somewhere special. The people that work there and are taking care of the of the of the tournament are treating you as someone special and it, it it's an incredible situation it it really is um it's just it's just nothing like i've ever felt in anywhere else i've ever been in life and you know on monday when i was you know sitting at home in the evening and kind of watching some of the video clips from the 
uh, you know, from the, the coverage there on Monday of the practice facilities, and you start to see some of the areas where you know where you've been before by the T on 12 or by the T on 16, and and I honestly sit there and, and you start getting chills because you remember what it was like to be there and be part of it, and they're just memories that you carry with you for forever, and they they, they remind me of the you know the things that I saw when I was there. And just it's just three days of my life that I will absolutely never forget. Well, when when you were there and you saw it in person, you set the you saw the course basically set up for the way the tournament was going to be uh, played and the way it was manicured and so on and so forth. Uh, and then you see it on on television. Uh, how much of that translates? You, you know, Pete the. When you first walk onto the grounds, one of the things you realize is there there truly isn't a blade of grass out of place. It's just it, it, it's just amazing the the quality of the the preparation of the, the surfaces themselves. And then when you walk around and you start to look at you know you get some up close looks at some of the greens and you watch the you, you look at the undulations and you look at the shelves and you look at the speed of the greens and some and some of it gets captured on television. I mean, for instance, we can all remember seeing the 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 green on 16 with the ball breaking down towards the left side there, headed towards the side of the, the green where the, the lake is, uh, the ball rolling to the right of the green on 14 as it kind of slopes down. And so you see those things on television, but when you're standing there, and it's so much more dramatic in terms of what those slopes are because they're just not things that we normally would ever, would, would see on the on the golf courses we you and I might play on on a regular basis. Uh, when you walk up the hill on 18, I mean, when you're walking it, and especially if you've been out there for a whole day and you're doing it at the end of the day, it feels like it's about a 45 degree incline. I mean, it's a, it, it is a really steep slope. So there's there's so many things that you that you just get the feel from being on the grounds there that television, uh, you know, just due to whatever, you know, due what the limitations are, you just, you can't quite get a full 360-degree uh, appreciation of the challenges and the shots that are demanded by the golf course. And when you see scores like we did today with some, you know, six, five, and four unders, that is, you know, that, that, that's just tremendous golf. That, that really is because every hole there, presents a challenge in a different way. Every hole has some danger lurking and if you, you know, fall asleep for a second. But by the same token, seeing these kind of scores, you know that great shots are rewarded there as well. Well, great shots are rewarded and uh, and I I I'm always amazed by the term you have to miss it in the right place. Um and uh I was I was watching some of the uh, the post round interviews today, and one of the people that was explaining that was uh, Fred Couples, and of course Fred Couples loves that place, and and he and he plays it generally speaking quite well. Question is whether or not he's he's got the stamina and the back to hold up to to go the distance, uh, but uh, his his awe of that facility is is recognizable in his speech and when he says well you got to put it over here 
so that you can get to that pin. And Aaron was saying this, Aaron Oberholzer was saying the same thing talking with John. You have to know where to, if the pin is in this position A, then you have to put your drive in position A on the fairway so you can have access to that pin. If you miss the spot in the fairway, he says, then you're in trouble. And that's where that's where you really start to um, uh, run up your number, so to speak. I you know I, I I can fully appreciate that. I remember one of the years I was there, we spent a lot of time uh, on 13 near the landing area where the tee shots were, and just to see the differences in what your options are in terms of coming into that green. If you get that perfect drive and you kind of turn the corner and you get it running down the slope there a little bit versus the shot kind of hanging up there on the right side, or worse even yet, if, it, if you pushed it off into the pine straw and the pine, pine trees there on the right, it uh, makes, a, makes a complete huge difference in terms of what you have to face uh, in your second shot there. And it might be the difference of only a few yards on your drive. And I think that's part of the magic of the course is that uh, the precision that's required to create a great shot versus a shot that is, you know, in, by the by the tour professional standards, maybe only average or uh, or less than that. Uh, that that line is drawn really fine in a lot of places on the course. No no question about that. One of the other places that I can think of, and it's not one that gets a lot of television coverage, is the third hole, and it's a short it's a short par four. And often they set the pin over on the left side where there, there's this little sliver of a green, a little small shelf that sits there. And the hole is only about, you know, 350 yards or so. And so you would think it's, well, this is going to be one that they're just going to sit there and then knock, knock down birdies all day. And it, it's not because the pin position is set up in a way that the ability to get the ball close to the hole is such a fine area. And if, if you don't, you're either left with a putt that is, you know, really, uh, really difficult, or you can end up missing the green altogether on a shot where you would think normally this should be a slam dunk for those guys. Well, imagine, uh, if you will, being that 14-year-old kid <laughs> that shot, <laughs> that fellow, that young man that shot one over par. I mean, <laughs> how good is that? Pete, it is to me. It is. It is unbelievable. It. It. It is. And I can. You know. I. I can only hope that he makes the cut. And this could be one of the truly great stories, not only for this Masters tournament, but what it could do for golf in general in the long run if he's there to play four days this weekend. I mean, first of all, as you know, as Billy Payne was talking about it, and he was asked the same question in his press conference on on uh, on Wednesday. Did you ever expect that an eighth grader would be playing here at Augusta? You know, and his answer was, you know, certainly not. Uh, I, I, I can't even imagine. In, in eighth grade, I was probably still trying to figure out how to ride my bicycle, let alone uh, figuring out how to play Augusta National. And then he goes on to birdie the 18th hole, and he does it like he's been he's been doing it all his life. I mean, it's it, it's unbelievable. But the thing that you know, the, the combination of that. And the announcement that was made this week about the drive, chip, and putt competition that's going to be started next year, which I think is one of the greatest things I've seen come out of the golf industry in many years, as an incentive and a driver and something for uh, young people to strive for, be part of, and then (laughs) – 
you know, you know, then be able to go to Augusta National and play the championship for this thing. I mean, can you imagine being a ten-year-old kid and getting the chance to go do a, you know, go do a drive chip and putt competition on the Sunday before the tournament at Augusta? I mean, I mean, you know, I can only think that in, in my day, if there had been something like that, I might have spent a lot more time practicing as a youngster. I can tell you, I would have been, I would have been in line every year to be involved in that. And I really think that if that gets the kind of momentum that it can, and this young man, uh, fourteen, you know, having the success this year that I hope he does, it could be one of those moments. And I'm very hopeful that it's this is maybe one of those times where we're going to see a turnaround in terms of the golf participation uh, by young people. Um, you know, maybe this is one of these events and moments that just happen that can get more and more young people involved in the game and cultivate you know, a real strong junior golf programs and interest in the game by, by teenagers and those younger than teenagers um, to, to be a part of golf. And um, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can look back in five years and say, you know, what happened in 2013 at the Masters, um, plus the, the beginning of the drive, chip, and putt competition, started to turn things around in terms of youth participation in the game. Exactly, exactly. I know uh, I've gotten a lot of good response from the high school golf coaches in here in uh, Arizona that um, uh, that are, are saying that uh, they're looking forward to what we're going to be doing for high school golf and they want to participate, on. and that's just based on one email that I sent out. So that's all good news, and, and anything like this might be able to help that. Uh, let's get back to the pro side of the of the tournament. Um, uh, what do you think of the leaderboard? I, I, I have uh, a few things that uh, I might like to add, but what are, your, what are your thoughts about the leaderboard, the way it finished up at the end of the first day? Well, well I think, Pete, it's, a, it's an interesting mix at the top of the board. Um, if I look at the first, you know, 12 players or so, you see uh, some prior master winners, Trevor, Trevor Immelman, Fred Couples, uh, Zach Johnson, you see uh, some players who have been close to winning majors who haven't, uh, Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson. And then you see a couple names in there like, you know, David Lennon and Mark Leishman, who it seems like every year, the first round of Augusta, there are a few names that pop up where it's just people you'd say, I, I don't see any way. Where, where did he come from to shoot this? But it just makes you realize how strong the field is when you see the, those people come up. I mean, I, I look at a couple of names. Two of the names that are very interesting to me at this point are two of the players at four under, and that's Ricky Fowler and Matt Kuchar. Um, Ricky Fowler, I think, is one of those players that if the conditions are right and his game was on, and he almost could have been there today except for two double bogeys, he could go out and shoot her 63 or 64. He can just light it up and run off a string of birdies and produce an incredible round. Uh, whether he's got one of those in his tank this week, we'll we'll see. Matt Kuchar seems like to me that his game is at a point where he is so confident and everything is just he's, he's kind of running on all eight cylinders, but he just does it with an ease and uh, an ability just to create consistent, strong golf shots. That if he can carry that through four rounds, you know, I can see him being there at the end of the day as well. 
What about this Leachman? What uh, What do you know about him? Anything? Um, I you know I, I know he's, he's he's an Australian. I offhand I um I don't know exactly the success he's had on on tour. Um, but again, he's a, he's a name that uh, you know you, you expect to see a few names. You wouldn't call them unknowns, but they're names that have not been at the top of a Masters leaderboard or perhaps a a uh, another leaderboard um, in uh, in his past. But you never know. I, I mean, well, that's you know, true. You don't. You you never know exactly what's going to happen because it's just so. Uh, some of this stuff is just so implausible that it just you just cannot get it figured out, and you just have to sit back and go, "Wow, look at what's happening here." Um, I, I'm uh, I, I'm amazed that Garcia is playing uh, has played as well as he has today. Uh, he certainly has had his fair share of struggles, but but lately he seems to be playing better, pretty much across the board in the last several tournaments that he's been in. Uh, but he's always he always seems to be still um, he has the ability to 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 blow up at any given time, and I'm I'm wondering if he can if he can pull it through uh, based on what they were saying and he was talking this afternoon. Also, it was a case where he was saying that um, this is the 20th anniversary of Seve's first win. At the Masters, I think one of the people, the commentators, was saying that, and it's the 20th anniversary of the first time Olafamo played at the Masters. Now, I thought I heard that right, but if that is the case, that's probably all the motivation this guy needs. Well, I, w- I would th- I certainly think so, and um, you know, the, the success that's preceded him by his countrymen. Uh, at Augusta, and certainly Seve, when you think about he was the first one that kind of, that broke through kind of as a as a European and had, you know, not only regular success you know, worldwide but he had great success at Augusta, obviously. And so he has to, I would think Sergio certainly has to look back and say, I want to keep carrying that torch. And you know, the one thing you wonder about in that situation is if the fire burns that strong where he says, okay, Seve did it, Jose Maria did it, now I want to do it, um, can you try too hard? And, you know, we know at Augusta you have to be doing well with the flat stick. And certainly there have been points in Sergio's career where, you know, the flat stick has been, you know, has been the problem for him. I don't think it's going to be a question of, can he keep it in? Can he keep it in the right place off the tee? Is his iron game sharp? Uh, the make or break for him is going to be uh, going to be with the putter. And can he? And now I can say, can he kind of control his emotions because he, he he is a fiery sort, and he does have. He's been in situations before at the British Open where he's been close, and he's just and at the PGA, and he's just been you know missed it by a shade. And, you know, sometimes it seemed like he's carried a little chip on his shoulder from that. Uh, can you turn that around and turn it into positive energy? Or do you let it get you down and say, it happened to me before and it's, here it is happening to me to me again? And I think that's the challenge for him right now is, is to use that, use those experiences, but flip it on its, you know, flip it on its side and say, all right, this time I'm going to understand the things that happened then and it's going to make me stronger, and it's going to make me better. 
and I'm going to create a result that I didn't, I wasn't able to create uh, in those situations. I think that's uh, points well made. Uh, I want to just take this uh, moment here, uh, Kirk, to let everybody know that they're listening to the Straight Down the Middle Golf Show. Uh, you can get to the Straight Down the Middle Golf Show at straightdownthemiddleshow.com straightdownthemiddleshow.com and you can listen to archives and also listen to the current shows as they're being streamed live on our website. We invite you to do that, straightdownthemiddleshow.com. In addition to that, we're waiting for Mr. John Bloom, who is over there working for CBS Sports, and he's in the truck, and I know that he had to uh, change some of his his scheduling around for his uh, his live spreecast that he does from wherever he's located. And uh, he had to change those things around because of a storm that's moving through. And so the inclement weather has uh, maybe knocked out a bunch of stuff down there in uh, – uh, at the at Augusta National, so we're gonna sit here and, and we're gonna uh, Kirk Getzinger and I will sit and visit for a little while longer, and we'll see if John can uh, get himself uh, online. I know we build this for everybody that John was gonna be live from the Masters, and we have to apologize for the fact that he's not with us, but I'm sure it's through no fault of his. So uh, we're just going to uh, continue on here a little bit longer and and see if John can shake himself loose from. Uh, wherever or whatever he's involved in to uh, to call in uh, as we had discussed. So uh, that having been said, I was going to ask I was going to ask John uh, John this question, Kirk, and maybe you and I can kick it around. Here we are. We're at the end of the first round. Before uh, before we did the show, uh, I t- talked to a few people and I said, "Who would you take? Would you take Tiger against the field?" And there were a, a variance in responses as far as what people would do. Uh, Tiger's now at uh, two under. He's four shots off the lead. It is only the first round. Would you take Tiger against the field after the end of the first day? Boy, Pete, that's a that that's a tight call. I'll tell you, I I would not. And that's not because I don't think Tiger can win. I think he's clearly playing the best golf of anybody on tour right now. He's won all three stroke play tournaments that he's been in, and he is. If he gets it, if he gets it going and puts a 65 or 66 up on the board, um, you know, it, it, it could be lights out come Saturday. Who knows? But at, at this point, I think that there are so many other players. First of all, there are so many other players that are really good, and could be the one to edge him out. Will he be in the top ten? I certainly expect so. Um, but I think you know, the, some of the intimidation factor he's had in the past is not there. Um, and it's I think all the other players that are looking at a tournament like the Masters are, are they, you know, look, they're there for a reason. They're there either because they want a tour event or they're in the top 50 in the world, and they they know they can play. Uh, so being four shots back certainly doesn't that, that doesn't uh, mean that much after the first day. That's easily overcome. Uh, could he go out and finish up 16 or 18 under? Absolutely. But I think you can look at you know 20 or 30 names on that leaderboard who could be uh, you know mid double digits uh, come Sunday and uh, be be there to win it. Now if he's 
if he's tied for the lead going into the back nine on Sunday, uh, I, I might have a different feeling about that question. <laughs> but it, but, it, but at this at, at this point, I'll still I'll still take the field, and uh, we can talk at about uh, three o'clock on Sunday. And I, I might have changed my mind by by that point. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in that I'm kind of in that same corner with you. Um, uh, I. I love to see him play well. I love to see him. I love to see him win. I love to see him. I, I love to see him coming down the stretch and uh, and and you know spreading it out like he's going to the wire and and just expanding his lead. Uh, but this tournament means so much not only to him but to all the participants, all the players. Uh, and there's uh, you stop and look at who's there with him at. Uh, at two under, and you go, wow, there's there's some people here that I mean, if they're Mickelson's only uh, one over and one back of of Tiger, and Phil had uh, one over today, and I what do you have two bogeys, three bogeys along the way, and he's still he's still at one over. So I mean, hey, you know, that guy can play too. Uh, as that commercial used to say, these guys are good. Uh, and I think I think there there are any number of players at this time. If Tiger if Tiger had gone out today and if Tiger had been uh, at minus six, now it would have been I'd, I'd have had more of a tendency to say, well, here he is. He's just he's just going to keep this going now, and hopefully he doesn't uh, he doesn't blow up himself. But he didn't, and he's 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 two over. But then again, the other side of the coin is, as they were saying on Golf Channel. Um, Two over, uh, two under rather is uh, with with and playing steady golf is not bad for the first day, and he's still with easily within reach of the leaders. Yeah, I, I certainly agree, Pete, and I think you know Tiger and Phil and the players who have played there, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, they recognize better than most that this is a seventy-two hole golf tournament, and don't get too excited about one great round and don't get too down about making a bogey or two because this is a tournament where you are tested hole after hole, shot after shot, and you have opportunities to, to make to make birdies and shoot shoot great scores and you have opportunities to shoot yourself right out of the tournament in a three or four hole stretch. So keep that in perspective. Keep playing your game. Um, they all I'm sure go in with, you know, very solid game plans about how they want to play uh, specific holes and specific shots. Keep playing your game, and look. Winning a golf tournament always has a couple of breaks that come from the golf gods or wherever to help you win. And you, you mentioned Freddie Couples, and we always we all remember the shot on 12 that he hit that somehow stayed out of the water, and he he won that year, and that was a big uh, a big part of it. Even go back to go, go back to last year with with Bubba Watson's win and in the playoff, I mean it will always be remembered obviously for the great shot that he hit out of the trees. But I, I could tell you after being over on that part of the golf course, he's just as likely to be stone dead right behind a tree with that drive as he is with an opening that he could hit that miraculous 50-yard hook shot. So the winner's going to need a few breaks along the way. Uh, a ball that uh, maybe hangs on the edge of the creek there on 15 and uh, 15 or 13 that, that stays out and, and instead of going in. Uh, those are some of the things that that can happen, and uh, it, it's a long way to go. Uh, Tiger and Phil understand that again better than you know better than most of the players do in the field, 
and they realize you just have to keep moving yourself up, and they get yourself in position on Sunday where you can go to those holes there where, you, where you've had success in the past, you know how to create that success, and then make it happen. And that's one of the things that gets me so fired up about the Masters is you think about the, when the players have won, they've gone out and won the tournament. Uh, you know, Charles Schwartzel goes out, makes four birdies in a row to end. Uh, we can remember the birdie putts that, you know, Marco Mira or Phil have made on, on the last hole. It's usually a shot or a series of shots that create birdies that create the victory. And to me, this is why one of the many reasons why the Masters is such a great tournament. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll watch the U.S. Open and you kind of feel like it's the last man standing one. Everybody just kept taking punch after punch, body blow after body blow, and finally the last man standing is a two or three over par, and they've survived and they've, they've gotten through. At Augusta, it always seems like that player gets something to go out and win the golf tournament. Maybe it's a you know, phenomenal round on Saturday and he you know, stretched himself a big lead and, and, and he carried it through. More often than not, it's something you know great that happens on the weekend. I mean, we all remember what Jack did in '86 in the back nine. It feels like somebody is going to win the tournament, and to me, that is what makes this tournament so exciting and such a thrill to watch. And why you have to be there for the last nine holes to see it, because that's what's going to happen. Somebody is going to distinguish themselves and create something at the end of that tournament. They obviously, they have to play great golf to get there but then something's going to happen at the end that's going to be that trigger point for victory. Well, we're going to find out what John Bloom has to say about it because John's with us now. John, glad you could make it. Welcome uh, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here, fellas. How are you? Sorry uh, it took uh, me a couple minutes to uh, finish my duties uh, out here, but uh, I love the passion coming from KG right now. Uh, I could just hear it because I know he's been here and walked the hallowed grounds, and he has uh, – you know, as much of a passion for this place as anybody I know. So I, I'm glad that that's coming through from uh, from Kirk. Uh, what a day. What a day for round one uh, here at the Masters. I mean, uh, if you, you thought there were a ton of storylines coming into the week, I think they were actually multiplied after day one. And, uh, and that's hard to believe. I mean, uh, I just got done talking with Aaron Oberholzer, who's, uh, of course, a partner of ours with Golf Mix. And this week he's in Orlando on the Golf Channel all week. Uh, you get to see him before uh, the coverage starts, and uh, he's been working around the clock as well. So we did a spree cast uh, just uh, about an hour and a half ago, and uh, you know, talking about some of the things that were uh, standout performances, if you will, today, and uh, and how can you discount what Fred Couples did at 53 years of age and with a bad back, going out shooting 68, like he was just having a stroll in the breeze. Uh, old Freddie, like we all remember, and and that's that's an amazing story, but it gets almost pushed to the back because you've got a guy. Who, let me do the quick math. Uh, is uh, actually less than a quarter of Freddie's age. Am I right on on the numbers, KG? I, you, you you have nailed it on that, JB. Uh, and uh, by the way, yeah, Richard, less than a quarter of his age. Yeah. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Going out I mean, and shooting seventy three without sweating. I mean, making a birdie putt on eighteen, like. Oh, I've done this a thousand times before. Thank you very much. Yeah, he probably has done it a thousand times before, but just never on that course, and he didn't realize where he was. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, you know what? I've done a lot of thinking about this guy, and it is amazing. 
but after talking with Aaron, too, I, I thought of it this way. Uh, Tianlong Guan is the name of the 14-year-old boy that we're talking about. And that's what he is. He's a boy. I mean, 14. Let's all remember what we were doing. Uh, and I said something earlier today. Uh, show me a 14-year-old that could shoot 73 at the Masters on a video game right now, and I'd be impressed. Let alone go out and do it in the actual Masters. It's, it's mind-blowing. But here's the way I think the brain works. Uh, he went out there two and a half weeks ago, I believe. He's played a dozen rounds before the, the tournament started. Uh, and when you're young and you have this developing brain and you're learning by road and you're memorizing things and you're learning numbers like I know Kirk was and probably uh, completely into even at the age of 14, and I was too back then, uh, he, he put it together. He kind of you know put this whole game plan together over the course of the last two and a half weeks. And now the execution is the mind-blowing part. Uh, but uh, but I'm I'm not trying to discount anything that Guan is going to accomplish this weekend. I actually will be surprised if he doesn't make the cut. Is that uh, a ridiculous statement to make here after day one? But I will. I'll be surprised if he does not make the cut because at this point, I think he's got that brain conditioned to make it happen. Well, let me well, ask I, you this, John. Do you think uh, uh, he he's won over? Do you where do you where do you think the cut might fall based on what you've seen? Now, sure, if, if the course is wet, the greens are holding better, and and I know Aaron was talking about them sucking the stuff, the the wetness, the moisture out of the greens. But uh, what uh, what do you think the cut line could conceivably be based on? Uh, did you discuss that with Aaron at all? We didn't get to that, uh, but I do, you know, in, in thinking about it, it's always tough to say P2, plus when we know we're supposed to get, uh, I don't know what it's going to be, hail, uh, firestorm, all, all kinds of things that are being predicted for tonight overnight. I just hope I sleep through it, wake up, go over down the street on Washington Road, and and, uh, and we get golf started as usual at 8 o'clock. That's what I'm hoping. But, uh, you know, the weather's supposed to come in overnight. You don't know how that's going to really affect the course. Sure, you could predict that they'll use the sub-air system so the greens could stay as perfect as they were before the rain started falling. Uh, I, I would not uh, question that ability at all from the guys at the Masters and Augusta National. The other option is that the uh, fairways get really sloppy. Uh, and then that stinks for the spectators. Kirk, I think you've been there when it's rained a lot. They put all that manure down. I mean, you're talking about going to the most beautiful place on the planet uh, practically, and then you got to smell manure the whole time. That, that, was, that was definitely one of the biggest buzzkills for me uh, when I first figured out that they did that. Yeah, you go to the Masters, you pay a million dollars to get there, you pay a million dollars to get on the grounds, pay a million dollars for your hotel room, and then you go walk in the cow field. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think tomorrow it is going to be very interesting. And, again, like you mentioned, the the weather is going to be a huge determinant. Um, uh, First of all, we've got the the good news is, John, is that you're still about five hours away from the storms hitting, and the bad news is the storms are about five hours away from hitting. And and just looking at the Doppler radar before I came on here with Pete, uh, it's going to storm there tonight, and it's going to storm hard. It looks like I was there for the uh, practice round in 2011, and we had a storm come through that night at virtually almost the same time and did the same thing, and it really ripped through the course, did a lot of damage, actually even took down a tree on Magnolia Lane. That's how strong it was when it came through. So the combination of the timing plus the cleanup that will have to happen, I'm sure, as a result of that, if it does come through as strong as it looks like, I think the 8 o'clock start 
is is probably in in question tomorrow. But when you get back to the question of the cut, I mean, the the average, you know, I, you know me, John, my fascination with statistics, and I was thinking about the same thing today. Where, where can we expect the cut to fall? And if you go back the last ten years or so, the average cut is is, is around four over. Actually, the the lowest cut ever that there's been at Augusta is is one over, and it's happened a couple times in the in the last ten years. Now tomorrow, if the wind is up after the storm, as they're as they're suggesting, they're suggesting fifteen or twenty mile an hour winds. Well, we know what that's going to do to that golf course. The scores are going to go up. So um, he is going out uh, in the in the early groups. He is in the seventh. Uh, seventh Squan is in the seventh group tomorrow. So. I'm not sure where that's going to leave the course and the wind in terms of that, but if he can go out there and get a little momentum going and shoot some par golf on the front nine, I, I, we're going to see him for the weekend. And that would be just a, just a phenomenal thing, a phenomenal uh, story for the game, and something that uh, you know we can all say we watch. And you know, watching a 14-year-old at Augusta, I, I don't see that one happening. Uh, very soon in my lifetime again. That's for sure. It, it is a it's a wild deal. Uh, I, and and you're right. He has to work to to make this cut, regardless. Uh, and and I think that uh, you know making the comment I did, I, I maybe I'll, I'll be guilty of being carried away by the story. But uh, I also just believe in the game because I'm watching him hit these hybrids and these five woods. Pure. I mean, he's able to basically pick a spot and land it there with a five wood, and he's done it uh, three days in a row that I've seen on the 18th hole alone. Uh, and, and it's just amazing to see, uh, you know, that that pinpoint control with that kind of a club. Uh, it's going to get tougher though if those fairways get wet, and and that changes the game because he is hitting such a longer club than the other guys. He's at a huge disadvantage from that standpoint. We already know he's at a disadvantage from, you know, inexperience and youth standpoint, although you could argue that based on what I said before about conditioning himself over these last couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, it's impressive nonetheless. I, I want to hear from you guys, too. I mean, uh, what else really stood out uh, having a chance to watch the broadcast as is, is you hopefully – did have the chance to do today uh, to you guys. Well, uh, John, uh, what I what I was mentioning with uh, with Kirk before you uh, managed to get on uh, was uh, I'm surprised that Garcia is there. Uh, not that he's not you know, at the event, but I mean that he's leading it. I'm surprised. Uh, yeah. And I, I I mean I like Sergio Garcia. I think he's a fine golfer, but he has a he has a propensity to have a bad holder for and uh and i'm surprised that he held it together and he comes in at minus six i think that's great yeah he's played well here before uh but last year you know he had a bitter taste in his mouth so i think that there's a lot of people that are surprised that he's back here and i wonder if part of it is that he kind of wrote it off as i just don't think this place is for me and so maybe he didn't put as much pressure on himself as he has in the past, and he came out and shot 66 today. I mean, that that it could be as simple as that because, frankly, I do think he has the game suited for this golf course, and he's shown that in the past. I mean, he has been competitive here and, and contended. So uh, I'd like to see him contend. I like Sergio, and, and I like his game, and I think and sometimes he gets a bad rap. He's got uh, certainly some temper and some 
fire, but uh, those of us who share those characteristics like to call it passion. That's true. That's true. true. John, I also mentioned we were all, John and I were also, uh, Kirk and I were also talking uh, about uh, Tiger. Uh, You can't mention the the Masters and not talk about Tiger. And we were discussing whether or not we would still take, if we ever were going to take Tiger against the field, uh, the way it's shaped out after the end of the first round. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I said I would not take Tiger against the field. However, I picked Tiger to win. So that's there's your uh, conflict uh, that, that I'm in the middle of. But, um, you know, I, I am uh, still thinking he's in a great position to win, and so I'm not going to change my pick. Uh, however, you know, just as I would not change taking him over the field, I just think that, you know, from a, a standpoint of odds and, and even a standpoint of looking at recent history, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. He has to prove that. Uh, and uh, and I'm interested to hear or see uh, how he follows this one up because I do think he's in good position. Uh, I think playing in the afternoon tomorrow may actually be an advantage, uh, as Kirk was trying to or kind of alluding to, uh, talking about the morning versus the afternoon. Uh, but we won't know. And and I just think the advantage is for Tiger to have uh, basically the opportunity to oversee uh, what happens in the morning. And and any kind of extra information that that guy gets, I, I think, ends up being in his favor. So uh, he'll be able to take that in and have, uh, you know, realistic expectations for what he wants to accomplish uh, tomorrow afternoon. And hopefully uh, he tees off right when he's supposed to. I believe it's right around 1.40 uh, our time uh, here in Augusta and, and 10.40 a.m. for those of you in the desert. Uh, and, you know, I, I, it was an interesting thing today. I don't know if you guys – heard this but uh you probably did if you got a chance to to listen in with with aaron uh and and me on the spreecast but the uh, conversation with jack nicholas which i've now seen written up by a couple of people uh that uh, i don't even think were in the scrum when he was uh having that conversation about tiger woods uh in in yes, want- you mentioned you mentioned that in email i was just going to ask you that question please elaborate on that well, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this because I can certainly talk, you know, about my feelings about Tiger Woods, but I think I've, I've had the conversation before with you guys. Uh, and uh, to hear Jack Nicholas in the way he described it, and, and it's not just the words which you can read written up by the Associated Press. I think ESPN had an article out on it, a bunch of different uh, sources online. You'll find it, Tiger Woods talking about his relationship or Jack Nicholas talking about his relationship with Tiger Woods and the fact that they've never had a conversation longer than one or two minutes the Tiger has never asked him anything about golf anything about uh, his majors anything about what his what he thinks about Augusta or anything related to the sport basically and this is through the times that they've played together times where Jack has been the president or, or excuse me the captain of the president's cup team times of, of interaction but no substance of conversation and uh, and there are two things that really struck me on this one the emotion that was coming out of a man that frankly i've, I've heard a lot from uh, especially the last couple of years more so than in his playing days um and and never saw a, a huge amount of emotion not nearly as much as you see from say arnie uh or several other players but uh i could kind of see it like peeling back an onion there with Jack Nicholas, and the other one was reinforcing the theory I have about Tiger Woods, which is uh, a theory that's shared by many, 
that he has been programmed to be what he is since he was such a young child. Uh, and, uh, and you know, he's hunting. That's what he's doing. He was programmed to be the, the hunter. He did it to himself, putting Jack's record up on his wall and, and making that a target. So uh, maybe he looks at Jack as, as the hunted and, uh, and for that reason uh, doesn't wish to engage, you know, on, on a deep level at all. And I hope that at some point in time that changes. I really do, because I think if it does, I'll have more respect for Tiger Woods as a human being. Uh, and he has a ways to go to earn uh, my respect from that standpoint, and that started as a 16-year-old boy. So uh, I, I don't know if that will necessarily happen, but I do want to know what you guys think about uh, that conversation, about just the, the does it make you feel any different about Tiger Woods than before you heard about it? No, it doesn't, and I'll tell you why, because I think the person that was making those comments was much the same when he was younger. And I don't think that uh, that Jack Nicklaus uh, was uh, particularly enamored with Arnold Palmer. And I think there's a there's a certain parallel there. As Jack has gotten older, he's becoming a little he has become uh, a little less rigid in his thought process. Uh, he thinks that he may be in some way uh, the, uh, the 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 senior member, and maybe he he should be. Uh, people can come to him, but nobody was able to come to Jack and talk to him before any more than they were able to talk to Tiger, if I remember correctly. So uh, you know, it, it's. I think that there's an element of uh, history repeating it, history repeating itself, uh, at least to some degree. Uh, that's um, that's kind of my take on it because I I've seen Jack operate on a, on one of his courses in California when I was out there covering the opening of the course, and believe me, until he was ready to turn it on and, and tell everybody how great his course was and the wonderful things he was doing, he was nowhere to be seen. Even when a, a man with two prosthetic prosthetic legs hit one up close to the pin. He didn't even turn around a bat and I just walked away because he didn't want to engage. And that, that's the way Tiger seems to be. And I think it's a case of it repeating itself. Well, I think, you know, I, first of all, John, in, in hearing and in, 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 in reading what, what Jack had to say today, um, it, it perhaps doesn't surprise me that much about Tiger because he is so focused on beating Jack's record in the majors. And he just, you know that, that that is such a strong direction of his, and he just uh, you know you know he that that that's so much of where he's at. But I but I take it one step even further back about Jack's uh, being surprised that Tiger wouldn't engage more with him. And I'll I'll go back to his relationship with Bobby Jones. And when Jack was a young man, you know, growing up and starting to be a dominant force in amateur golf. You know, it was Bobby Jones' major record that was out there. And Bobby Jones did engage with Jack as, as a young man. And they did develop a friendship as Jack became a professional. And obviously, by that point in the 1960s, uh, Jack was in, I mean, uh, Jack, but Bobby Jones was in, you know, concert, had considerable health problems because of the paralysis. And so, but their contact did, did deepen and it did increase. And so, Perhaps some of the, if you will, the frustration maybe that you're, you're maybe you you know heard from Jack a little bit today, is that when he was a young man growing up and begin to, beginning to make his mark in the golf world, he was getting you know uh, some kind of positive reaction and association with the man whose record he was going after, and if Bobby Joe's record was just as much of a focus to Jack as Jack's record is to Tiger. 
And maybe Jack feels a little frustrated in that, okay, if this is the guy who is going to take down my record someday, I'd, I'd like to have a little, you know, I'd like to have a little more of a connection with him than, than I do. And, um, you know, that, that, that those feelings would come out and that the emotion like you described, John, is there is, is, is very interesting from, from my standpoint as someone who has, you know, kind of watched Jack's career all the way along. Um, and I think it was it, it was very insightful comments that he shared. Yeah, it was. And you know what? I'll elaborate on some of them he, and that you may or may not have seen, but he th- did discuss the Bobby Jones uh, record and, and how it did mean that much. And, and he, you know, even got upset when they when he was uh, explaining how they removed the amateur majors from the major record. Uh, so, or from his, sorry. You know, his 18, that, that doesn't include his national amateur championship. So he got upset because he lost two, he said, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the record. So his record, I guess, it would have been 20. Uh, and uh, you could tell that it meant something to him. There's no question, and it should. You know, I mean, that's, that's an impressive accomplishment. Uh, it is the most impressive accomplishment in a lot of people's eyes with regards to this sport. So, uh, so it's understandable that it has that meaning. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was fascinating to, to see that come out. I mean, I, I just happened to be, you know, you talk about wanting to be a fly on the wall. That's what I was. I was under the oak tree. I, had, I was there to meet and have uh, a couple conversations. I uh, saw the CBS guys and that, uh, and, and then saw Jack just wandering out and talking to, you know, a handful of reporters. So I, I basically just walked up and, you know, I've been in these scrums a lot as a reporter. Uh, but in this role that I have this week, I'm not necessarily playing that role. I'll, now I feel like I am because we're having the conversations about this, uh, you know, both on Golf Mix uh, here on Straight Down the Middle uh, as well as uh, on ArizonaSports.com. So it's it's being worthwhile to get this out. Uh, and the other thing that I, that I wanted to talk about, which which should be of interest to, to people listening in, in Arizona for sure, is the uh, the credit that he gave to all the people that are involved with the Waste Management Phoenix Open uh, in a conversation we were having about his frustration with his tournament in Columbus, Ohio, uh, a great tournament called the Memorial, uh, held at his golf course in Muirfield. And, um, you know, he, he's very frustrated that uh, the tournament is doing so many things on such a high level except for raising funds for charity. Now, that's not to sneeze at I'm sure they're still in the seven figures, but he's looking at some of these other tournaments, uh, and he, he recognized the Byron Nelson uh, in, in Dallas, in the Dallas area. He recognized uh, last week what they did at San Antonio, and uh, and then I brought up to, to him about the Phoenix Open, and, and he did have high praise for for what the uh, Thunderbirds do and, and is amazed at what they were able to, to get from a, a gate standpoint. He said, did they really get over 100000 I said, yeah. I mean, they got over half a million for the week again. Uh, and and you could see just the admiration for that. But uh, it, it's, it, it's something for me to see him, uh, you know, have the passion that he does for the things he's involved in. And, and I think, you know, the reason why he's probably not playing competitive golf at all is because he has these other – venues now where he is able to compete uh and and one of those venues is is growing the game of golf and i had a chance to talk to him a little bit about that too uh and uh, and that was a great conversation even got into to what we're doing with golf mix and and that was a thrill to be able to you know have that conversation with golden bear uh it was not something i expected to happen on uh, the first round of the masters so glad i was able to share that here too and and uh and hope that uh you know it it was uh you know, something worth sharing for those who are listening. 
Well, I thank you for it, uh, John. That's that's all uh, great information and a lot of a lot of fun to hear you talk about it. Um, I, I think I, I think that uh, Nicholas's place, as many others, is certainly assured in the annals of golf, uh, including what he does and the way he's done it. Uh, and there's yet to be many chapters written for Mr. Woods. Hello? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that for me? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I just I uh, just well, I threw it out there as as I sometimes do, you know. I just yeah, I, I know, just throw you it know, out. I'll I'll respond to it. Here's the deal, and I was taking a, a quick bite of my dinner here. Uh <laughs> so that's why I was quiet. Uh you know, Tiger as as much as I get down on him about his character and and the person that he is, not the golfer, cuz he's a phenomenal golfer. He's in a great position. I picked him to win it, and I still think he will. Uh and if he does win this week, then I will be convinced that he will break Jack's record, uh, which many still are in, in some question. Uh, I am in, in the middle. I'm reserving judgment because why do I need to think it? Yeah, frankly, nobody cares what I think anyway, so I'm going to just hold off and see what happens. Uh, but I, I think that there's a, a good chance he can. Uh, and what I will do to, to defend him in some small fashion, there will be people that would absolutely lose their minds if they heard me defending Tiger Woods right now. But the, the reason I will is that he's 37 years old. Uh, that means that, as you said, Pete, there's a lot of chapters yet to be written. And maybe he will change. Maybe. I mean, it's going to take something pretty massive to change him, but that massive thing could be retiring from the game of golf. Uh, and when that happens, who knows what it's going to be. I used to think it would be 40. I used to think he'd be done playing golf by 40. Uh, I was very convinced of that because of, you know, what you see from child prodigies. Uh, when, when people, human beings, are, are conditioned to do something at such a young age and do it uh, for a long, long period of time, it's, it's very, very hard to see them do it, you know, for the, for the length of their lives, uh, you know, and, and do it uh, happily. And, and I don't know if he will still. So, uh, you know, he may decide that there are other parts of life that he wants to, to focus on. And when he does that, you know, then maybe he'll turn around as far as a character is concerned, and, and, and then maybe, you know, he'll earn some of that respect that I was talking about earlier. Well, you don't think about it, John, and going, going back to Jack for a second, and this happens with a lot of athletes, the most memorable points of their career may come right at the beginning and right at the end. And I think with Jack, you could certainly say that was the case coming right out onto the scene, winning the U.S. Open as he did at Oakmont, defeating the, the, the golf hero of the day, Arnold Palmer, in his backyard, and just, you know, coming out as the kid from Columbus, and all of a sudden he came out as the bad guy, not, not, a, great, you know, not a great new golf on the tour because he beat Ernie. And then go to the end of his career where he has, you know, arguably, uh, you know, the most famous Masters victory ever, in 1986 at 46 years old. So he's, he, he bookends his career with two of the most memorable events in golf. Now, you can look at Tiger and say the same thing. He comes out in 1997, uh, laps the field uh, at Augusta in his first event, his first Masters as a professional. Maybe there's something at the back end, like you say, that obviously we haven't seen yet, but maybe one of those moments that will be a, a defining or the defining event in his career. John, I think a, 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 a back-end moment. 
Fred Couples uh, at 53 is, is one thing, and let's see if he can stay in it for the rest of the weekend. Um, but uh, do you think Phil Mickelson is at a back end, you know, right now where, where this could be one of his last chances for one of those moments? I mean, I, there are several people I've talked to this week out here uh, who I trust in, in their opinions in golf, and, and it seems to be a, a prevalent opinion right now that, that this is kind of that back end for lefty, and, uh, and this could be one of those last opportunities for him. I, I don't think so, John, and that's not just because I picked Phil to win this week. Um, I, I think, at least it's with regards to Augusta, my feeling has always been that his fire burned stronger for that point than, than anywhere else. And I think he's got at least one more and maybe more than that Masters in his future. And he would be one of those kind of guys that I could say, hey, maybe he'll be the one to beat Jack's record and win it when he's past 46 because he, he clearly still has the game. I, I don't think there's... I, I don't think there's a real question about that. I mean, has he been a little up and down this year? Very certain, no question. But I think we've seen a lot of times in Phil's career where he goes through these stretches where one week he's the, he's the Phil Mickelson as a Phoenix Open shooting 28 under, and then the next week he's, you know, missing the cut and on the plane uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, it, it just seems like it's two different people. But I, I still see it there for him, and I, and I think – I would guess he has a very strong desire to get at least one more at Augusta and get himself up to number four and then say, you know, there's only four guys that, you know, have have done this. It's me and Tiger and Jack and Artie. And I think that is a very burning desire for him right now. I would I would agree with that, and I still I still think he's got the game, but I think he's got the game from time to time. I don't think he has the game on a consistent basis, and I think as I think he also does, because he has to pick. He picks and chooses. He picks his he picks his fight, so to speak. Augusta is certainly one of them. That's the place that he wants to come, and for many of the reasons uh, that you just enumerated. And I think there's uh, he's always going to have uh, his favorite places to play where he has a good chance of winning, uh, just like Tiger has a great record at several golf courses, and that's where the multitude of his victory, victories have been. Uh, and and it's, it's different courses for different horses. And, uh, and, and Phil likes Augusta. He'll, he'll be able to play there until the cows come home as long as he wants to, as long as he's healthy, and I think he'll keep trying. I, 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 if nothing else, if he plays one tournament a year, I think he'll play Augusta. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the way I, I, think. I, I, think he's, I think he's got plenty of game left, but he doesn't have plenty of game left on a consistent basis. Yeah, that's it. Consistency is huge. Uh, I think we all know that. Hey, I saw a really funny comment. Uh, and Kirk and I had a chance uh, earlier in the week to talk for just a few minutes about the announcement uh, that the uh, folks here at Augusta National made, uh, Billy Payne and company, uh, Mr. Chairman, as he's referred to here on the grounds, uh, about the uh, partnership with the PGA of America and the USGA and, and the Drive Putt and Chip Championship. Uh, this this is pretty cool, uh, and and I'm excited about it. And, and I don't know if you guys touched on it in the in the couple minutes before I jumped on, but um, I know Kirk has 
uh, a feeling about it as well. Uh, but I, the reason I thought of this was I saw a comment on Twitter about uh, the contest and how uh, Tin Lung Guan is, is definitely setting up uh, for a great chance uh, to participate in that contest because he'll, he'll be 15, he'll qualify. Uh, and the way he's uh, putting and chipping, I think the driving, you know, he, he's going to have some competition. But the putting and chipping, he's looking pretty good to be back there uh, on the Sunday before the Masters next year uh, to compete in that. Uh, anyway, the, the the long and the short of it is, for those who haven't heard of it, and I think the uh, website is driveputtchip.com, uh, potentially, or driveputtchipchampionship.com. Uh, I'll check that while while we're on. Um and it's a fantastic idea. I mean, frankly, it's one of those ideas I wish I came up with. I really do because it, it does have the potential to do what we're all trying to do, what you're trying to do, Pete, with straight down the middle, what we're doing with golf mix, uh, trying to grow the game, trying to open the doors to golf as opposed to close them. And this is going to do that to the place that all of us salivate about walking on, you know, let alone just uh, having a club in our hands, but just walking on the ground to Augusta National. And now uh, the best drivers – shippers and putters from around the country, uh, ages 7 to 15, which is just upsetting me to no end because my daughter's six, and I think she could definitely have a chance in her division. Uh, and uh, it, so maybe next year. We'll get her ready for, for next year. Uh, but the best ones will qualify to go to Augusta National on the Sunday before the Masters next year and compete. Uh, they'll do the driving and the chipping on the practice range, and they'll do the putting on the 18th green. Uh, where the big boys play at the Masters. That, how good is that? Well, you know what's you know what's I think really really neat about that is uh, we were talking about the allure of the tournament, the allure of Augusta National, and to the point that uh, when when Kirk was having some nice things to say about it and about his visits there, that uh, you, the, the term patron was used because you're not a galleryite, you're a patron. Um, it, it's it, it's um, uh, almost uh, the American royalty when it comes to location for golf, just like the uh, the Opens are, the Open Championships are in uh, in, in Great Britain. Uh, so it's it, it has this perception, and one of the perceptions it also has is that uh, only certain people get to play that golf course, and if you don't qualify, you don't get to play. Now. That's a bit sarcastic on my part, and it's intended to be so because I like the fact that these young kids are going to be able to play out there, and it and it should mean something to them, and it will mean something to them. But they're going to be able to come there with a completely youthful approach and have a great time, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah Chad, that's a, it's a great insight that I, I guess I hadn't thought of. That if if Jin Yang Guan doesn't uh, qualify by winning these and amateur again. Uh, next year, like you said, he can come back in the 15-year-old division and and, and win. So, uh, but I, I think Pete and I touched on this a little bit before you came on. This is a tremendous thing, and I think I'd like to even take it one step further. And I think it's a call out to the golf community, the golf industry, and the golf club owners to do something to foster junior golf at your club. And I think it's everything. I mean, if the, if Augusta National can get behind something like this and bring youngsters to Augusta National on the Sunday before the tournament, what are you doing at your local club to foster a junior golf program or something to get more kids interested in the game? 
I mean, throw open some tea times at 4.30 in the afternoon where kids can come out and play for a dollar or something like that to get kids onto the golf course and playing. I, I really think that this can be one of those moments and um, pieces of you know, ammunition, if you will, to get the get kids into the game who are thinking about it or get kids more active in the game who are maybe just a little bit involved with it. And so it go to me, it goes beyond not only this contest, which is which is unbelievable, and it is one of the best things that I've seen come out of golf in many years, but it has the potential to take it so much further. And that, that that's what I love about it. And uh, I, I only hope it be, it becomes ten times the success that I already foresee it becoming. Well, and here, here's how I, I uh, here's why I think it will be so successful, Kirk. And I, and I echo your your comments, both of you, on this. Um, I, I just see it having the golden ticket effect. I remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I, I feel like getting an opportunity to go to Augusta for kids who may have watched the Masters on TV with their folks, may have more likely played the Masters on a video game, uh, and, and never considered that they would actually get to walk uh, where the pros are actually playing the, the Masters at Augusta National. That, that's a big driver. But let's not forget the driver it is for the parents to have a chance to go to Augusta National. Are you kidding me? We always talk about the parents, you know, who, who get their kids into baseball and then say it's a daddy who ties his son's, you know, right arm so he becomes a left-handed pitcher and he has him working in the backyard throwing it through the tire from the age of four and, you know, all those stories. So uh, what's going to happen now with golf? Because uh, <laughs> there's going to be some crazy dads out there that are thinking, I can get my kid to be potting and chipping good at the age of seven, and we're going to be going to Augusta National. Are you kidding? Uh, what an opportunity. Uh, no, but I, I think it's going to be uh, a massive success if they do it right. It all comes down to the execution of it for me, uh, making sure that it's getting to the right places. Like you said, uh, this isn't just great because Augusta National is doing it. This is great because it should have a great trickle-down effect to all the other private clubs, public courses, uh, golf associations, everything out there to say, hey, if, if we were looking for a carrot, you know, to, to draw people, the, the, we were just given one by the, the, the Green Jackets, the USGA, the PGA of America. They just basically handed us one. Uh, and, and in golf, it would be very hard to find a bigger one uh, than, than an opportunity to have your kid go play uh, in this championship. So, I am hopeful that it, that it is executed properly. I'm very hopeful that uh, we're going to be spending some time on straight down the middle talking about some qualifiers in, in Arizona. I'm sure Tom Legering over at Sun City Country Club is going to have signs up by next week saying come qualify out here. Uh, and I hope that other people follow suit as well all over the valley and all over the state of Arizona and all over the country for that matter. I think it's a great program, and I think it's wonderful that, uh, and I hope that all these courses uh, locally and across the country will participate to the to the fullest, uh, and and get these get these kids out there playing because that's very very important. Uh, well, you know we're kind of down to the short rows here. I uh, I had I set the program a little bit longer because I was afraid that this might happen. Not that I was fearful of it, but I I just I'm glad it did, and I'm glad John that you managed to get uh, get yourself free from your duties so you could come in uh, and talk to us and, and be involved in the program because uh, 
Kurt and I aren't there, and uh, it's nice to have your your perspectives. Let me ask you one last thing before we kind of wrap up, if I could, uh, and then I'll ask. Uh, first of all, let me ask uh, Kirk for his his forecast for uh, what he sees happening for the the balance of the tournament. Well, I see I see tomorrow as being a defining day. I see I see some separation happening tomorrow, and. Again, it's based on my my thinking about what the weather might be. And when the winds go up, the scores go up at Augusta. And we know that Saturday is moving day, but I think tomorrow is going to be maybe a more important day in some senses. You might see some of these players that are at three, four, five, even the leaders at six under, peel back if they run into run into difficult conditions. And that's where, at this point, I look to somebody like a Matt Kuchar who you know, seems so unflappable and so at ease in everything he's doing on the golf course these days. If he can maintain that for tomorrow, build another good round on top of this one, he's a name I would look at uh, to be in very strong position for the weekend. Well, I think he had a couple of bogeys and still finished at four under, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And uh, and I like Kutcher a lot as well. Uh, so I, and for the same reasons uh, I, Kirk just mentioned about the temperament and about Getting around this golf course, uh, I like Brant Snedeker and Justin Rose, who I like going into the tournament, uh, and they both will be playing. They're actually playing together. Uh, they'll be playing in the afternoon, I believe, tomorrow. And, you know, again, total crapshoot. I just hope that, you know, uh, come tomorrow night when we're uh, back on spreecasting, uh, Aaron and I will be on again tomorrow, uh, somewhere, you know, around 8 o'clock Eastern or 5 o'clock uh, Pacific. But um I just hope I'm not talking about a devastating storm. You know, let's just uh, you know send positive vibes to Mother Nature that uh, you know go easy on us tonight, and uh, and we can get up and get golf in tomorrow as scheduled with no uh, calamities, no uh, any major problems uh, here in the area. And uh, I say that from experience because I have lived through a tornado here. I think it was five years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was out near a place called Fort Gordon, uh, and I was in a hotel and I heard the sirens and got. Down on the ground, I didn't really know what to do. I'm a California boy, and then I went to Syracuse. And uh, those places have their issues: earthquakes and on the west, and and uh, blizzards on the east. And then the time in Detroit, uh, I was lucky enough to get out with any tornadoes or w- without any. Uh, but the one we had here was was pretty darn scary and did some pretty big destruction. Uh, so I would uh, prefer not to go through that again. As long as as long as the ground is shaking, you're happy. But don't let the yeah, wind right? float. <laughs> yeah, I can deal with the shaking. That, that's fine. I don't need that twisty thing uh, taking me back to to uh, Tonto and the crew. I've I, I heard Tonto. What am I talking about? Not Tonto. Uh, uh, Toto. That's Toto. Uh, Toto. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell it's been a long week already? Yeah. Is it yes, Thursday? It I can see. John, John, let me ask you one last question, and then we're going to wrap sure. this up. Uh, who is your darkest of dark horses at this point? Xiaolong Guan, does that count? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, my darkest of dark horses. Uh, well, I, I can't wait to see him play again. By the way, uh, but let me let me uh, throw you a, a name that that I don't think a, a whole lot of people are are talking about, uh, and uh, and yet uh, he seems to be sneaky. He seems to to compete here, and that's KJ Choi. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It seems like he just has turned his game off everywhere else. But when he comes back to Augusta, uh, he finds it within him. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not a crazy dark horse. 
uh, like somebody who nobody's ever heard of, and, and and that's the thing. I don't think those people win here. Kirk would echo that. Uh, you know, when we went through figuring out uh, the selection process for our Masters contest, you know, we were discussing all the, the factors and the odds, and, and uh, you know, first-timers don't don't win here. So I'm not going to throw one of them out here, and, and I'm not going to pick an amateur either. I think, you know, the, the one who has the best chance to make the cuts, the youngest, the 14-year-old. So, uh, I, yeah, I think it's K.J. Choi. Does that count? Sure. Why not? As good as any. I just wondered who it was who it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> the, the, one 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 thing I do want to cover before we go, uh, John. Tell us about when you're scheduling again. When you're scheduling your free cast, uh, tell us about the Masters contest that, that's up and and the field is full now. I understand for uh, for the Masters contest, but tell us about what people can expect there and uh, what you're going to be doing for the rest of the event. Sure. Uh, so, uh, spreecast wise, we're gonna we're we're scheduled for 8:30 Eastern, 5:30 Pacific. We had to change it today. Aaron got an early call for uh, Golf Channel, so that was part of it. And then the other reason was that uh, I uh, had the, the impending weather, and they were telling us to get out of the compound. So, uh, so that's why we moved it up. But regardless, whenever we do it, if you don't catch it live, you can go watch it uh, right now. You can watch it anytime, just like you can listen back to to these shows too that get archived. So. Uh, you can go do that, and all of our coverage for the week is at golfmix.com backslash masters. It's as easy as that. It's just golfmix.com, no www, just golfmix.com backslash masters, and uh, you're there. And you'll see, uh, you know, I'm going to probably cut up some of the uh, the broadcasts we did tonight on Spreecast, uh, and I can put little clips in, and, and so you don't have to sit through 40 minutes. Maybe you'll watch a two-minute segment when we're talking about Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas or some of the other topics we discussed here on the show, and you'll get Aaron's take on it as well so he's going to be on with me from orlando he's got his family in the ho- hotel room as well so that's another curve with trying to get a two-year-old and a four-year-old to bed uh simultaneously with with doing a webcast so uh it, we, we are uh, we're doing it we're we're patching it together we're actually making it work so far uh and we're excited to, to have the weekend to do it as well uh, and that'll be again 5:30 Pacific time, 8:30 Eastern time. That's the schedule for live. Love it when people come on live because you can interact with us by asking questions, by chatting in the chat room, and you can even go to Spreecast.com to watch it. And then you can jump on your webcam. So if you have a webcam, you can come on and ask us a question face to face. We can have a little conversation that way. I'd love to to make that happen this weekend. Uh, and then as far as the Masters contest is concerned, it's a full field. We we have everybody assigned to their player. Uh, and it's going to be exciting to see who finishes in the top five to win all the gear that I bought at the uh, pro shop at Augusta National. And then uh, we're also giving away a prize to who finishes last this year, too. So somebody's going to be in the mix, even if their player is uh, is, is not faring so well on the hollow grounds of Augusta National. So uh, it's been a fun lead-up to this event. Uh, it's it's always an amazing whirlwind to work it and this year i think with all the things that i've added on top of it it's made it even more of a whirlwind but i'm going to enjoy it while i'm here and i have so far and uh, and let's hope that the weather abides and that we're able to get everything in as scheduled well john i've got an open spot on my logo ball rack it's waiting for a master's logo ball can you accommodate that for me done <laughs> fantastic fantastic i appreciate it uh any last words kirk well, I just, um, you know, looking looking at what this weekend brings forward to us, it's, it's always the unexpected. It's always something exciting. Uh, like you said, there are dark horses that, that show up over the weekend that they, maybe they get there, maybe they don't. Maybe we see a first-time winner, uh, or maybe we see someone who's who's been there before. Uh, but, 
when you look at what this tournament is, when you look at the numbers of people that watch this tournament on television, uh, you know it is the one golf event every year that transcends golf. It goes beyond the avid golfers like those of us here talking, and it captures so many other captures so many other people because of what the event is. And whether you're an avid golfer or whether you're a casual sports fan. Uh, it, is, it is something special to watch, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it won't disappoint again this year. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both for being with me again tonight. Uh, John from uh, Augusta National Area, home of the Masters, obviously. It's been a great conversation. I'm glad you could make it in. And uh, Kirk, as always, uh, always insightful and always good things that uh, you've added. I want to remind everybody you're listening. You've been listening to Straight Down the Middle Golf, uh, Straight Down the Middle Show at StraightDownTheMiddle.com and also on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We appreciate your listening. Uh, Next time you hear from us will be next Thursday when we do our regular show. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and you can visit us at straightdownthemiddleshow.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks again to John and Kirk. And uh, we'll talk to you, John, when you get back. And, Kirk, we'll probably be talking between now and then ourselves. Take care. Have a great evening, guys. Happy Masters, everybody. All right, good night, John. Be safe. listening to Straight Down the Middle on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.